How do you make business problems disappear? Wrap them in bacon. For business owners, marketing execs, and anyone trying to grow your business, pump your profits, and make more while doing less, welcome to Bacon Wrapped Business with Brad Costanzo. Sizzling hot business advice guaranteed to make you fat. Profits? Every week our chefs will serve you proven recipes for ramping up your revenue. Now here's your host, Brad Costanzo. Hey, hey, welcome back to Bacon Wrapped Business. This is Brad Costanzo, and I'm very excited to be back with you guys. As you know, I took a couple month hiatus there from publishing some new episodes. I was working on some pretty big deals, and um, but I'm back, and I've got some recent ones that I did uh, with Roland Frazier just the other day, and Matt and Joe from Evergreen Profits. If you're just tuning in to this uh, podcast for the very first time, make sure you go back and listen to a couple of the previous episodes as well. Uh, they are guaranteed to rock your world, just like today's episode is going to do that. I am really thrilled to have a guest on the show who um, really refers to his background or what he's doing right now as kind of a ghost. You cannot find much information, if any, on the web about him at all. He was referred to me by a couple people that I highly respect, uh, former guests on the show, Mark Anthony Bates and my friend Gene, who I cannot pronounce his last name to save my life. But um, David, is it, by the way, David, is it Reese or Rice? Reese. Reese. David Reese, who you just heard, is really uh, such a dynamic entrepreneur uh, consultant, business owner, and thought leader in this space. He's worked, you know, his entire career with Fortune 1000 companies and bigger, uh, helping them go from you know, 20 million to 200 million and above that, and really understanding how to think completely differently than most standard consultants and business owners in order to achieve really massive amounts of scale. And I've talked to him a couple times here recently and I was just really blown away by some of the case studies he shared with me and some of his thought processes. And I asked if he would come on the show and he graciously said yes. So you guys are getting the uh, opportunity to listen to a real live ghost. We'll talk about it in a second. But David, welcome to the podcast, man. I'm really excited to kind of dig in and find out a little bit more about what's going on. Well, thank you very much. I didn't realize I was going to be that tall. I, thank you. <laughs> A great intro. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, and you're uh, right. Like I, I googled the heck out of you. I was like, this guy really is hard to find. I can't, I can't see anything. Yeah, you know, I, I started as a marketing consultant. Uh, it's a hard, hard story. I, I was 13 years old. My best friend's father's company was failing, and I asked him what was wrong, and he told me. And I said, well, did you try this and this and this, which seemed very logical to me, even at as a 13, kid. 13. At 13, yeah, and it saved this company. And by the time I was 17, I had a lot of word of mouth. Um, <laughs> you know, I was doing things at 13. Um, I'd go to the zoo and with a, a old speed graphic camera and color Polaroid film that I bought for a dollar and say, your picture in color for $3. And in, um, in a month's time, I did 3,000 of them. And made two dollars each. I was thirteen years old. Wow! So it, You've been it was kind of for a very long time. Then, yeah, I can't spell it, but I, I have <laughs> definitely been it for a very long time. Yes. Yeah. 
It's so funny. Just as on a side note, uh, a buddy of mine and his wife, well, his wife just published a book really about the journey of the entrepreneur's wife. And it says that on the title. It's like, and this just happened like a week ago, the journey of the entrepreneur's wife and the word entrepreneur was misspelled on the cover. Right. It was published and like a real publisher and everything didn't catch it. But we were all laughing like no entrepreneur can spell entrepreneur. That's like, it's actually a hilarious uh, gaffe. I was like, keep it on there. Don't even fix it. But um Sorry to side note. I just thought that was funny because I got the book. No, up. that's, that's, uh, it, it, it's funny. You know, I try to do some fun things. Even on my, my iPhone, it says, please forgive the typos. And I, I put TPYOS for typos, <laughs> you know, just because, I, or, or in a form we just did on one of the companies I'm a partner in, uh, there's always, I am not a robot. And yeah. I put a robot, a robot, I am, I not am. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I love that. You got to have a little, uh, levity in there, but I, I want to circle back, man. You see, you said at 13 years old, and you know, through your teens, you had already, you already been a hustler and an entrepreneur and making things happen, uh, probably much more than a lot of your peers. Uh, what was the evolution of your career then? I um, I was always trying to get involved and figure things out, and to me, looking at things. I had answers. It just came to me. I, you know, people say if I wasn't as successful as I have been, I'd probably be in a room with formidable wallpaper. And <laughs> I, I don't doubt that. But answers just, I, I see things differently. So I started doing consulting. Um, I was a kid and still trying to. And then I, um, I got a, a chance to speak at the Direct Marketing Association. And I did it two or three years in a row. I don't remember. The first year I had maybe 60 people in the room. And I said, I've got nothing. I've got no slides. I've got no script. I've got no pitch or story. How many of you have not a marketing challenge, but an unsolvable marketing challenge? And hands went up and I chose six people. And I took one at a time and said, you have two minutes to explain the problem. I have five minutes to solve it. And I did it six times. And I would say, this is the best weight loss program you've ever seen because I'm sweating bullets under here. And, you know, 20, 30 companies would come up and say, how do we hire you? And the next year, I had almost 2,000 people in the room. And so it was a way of launching. And a lot of these companies were very large companies. And they were attracted to the way that I solved problems. So it was really just my brain power, if, if you will. And you know, just to interrupt you right there, and uh, I actually really want to thank you for that idea because I am, I was just booked to give a speech in front of a, a very large uh, group for EO, an entrepreneur organization, in a few months. Right. There's about six or 700 people there. And I really am not 100% sure what I was going to talk about. But what you, the skill set that you just said is one that I actually have uh, most likely to a lesser degree than yourself, but I'm, I'm really good on the spot. Like, and I love the fact that you said that because it just gave me a tremendous idea on how to add value without just having to have a scripted speech, which I hate. And, and I send the bill where? Tell me what, <laughs> what she meant. Bacon wrapped is P.O. box. No, no. See, I, I, like, I like bacon wrapped bacon. Business, exactly. Because that's, that's even fatter. Double you know? bacon. Well, it so, was a restaurant had bacon wrapped pork belly. So oh, I thought, you know, that's a, an amazing, it came with a side of Lipitor. So it was wonderful. <laughs> it was just, I love it. So, so you did so the hot anyway, seat, so, and it grew. Yeah. People started seeing you as kind of this oracle. <laughs> like, oh man, this guy's got the answer. Well, yeah, they, they liked the way I thought. And so a lot of companies came up to me and they were significant. I mean, they were Fortune 1000 companies. Mm. And they didn't care about 
track record or who I had worked for. What they wanted was the way I thought, the mm. way I saw things. So they would put me to a little bit of a test and uh, I started passing these tests and helping them. And all of a sudden I'm in my twenties and I'm working at the CEO level of the fortune 1000. And one CEO tells another, it was the chairman of the board of one automotive company who told the then CEO of another automotive company to uh, call me to solve a problem, which I did. So it was all word of mouth. And then the equity firms uh, who were behind them started uh, taking notes. So I started working with a couple of dozen equity firms who would bring me their deal flow, their portfolios. I would not just solve the problems, but I'd see things in companies that ways to increase valuation. I'm really, really good at that because there are so many things people don't see. Well, valuation, people say, oh, it's a multiple of EBITDA, but it's not. Uh, Forgive me. I don't mean this to be rude, but that's a cop out from bean counters, accountants who, who say, oh, well, you know, it's, it's an eight time multiple. You have 6 million in EBITDA, therefore it's 48 million. But that's that's not true. The iceberg, right? It's like the, it's a sum of where to start, but it does not determine where you end up. I had an equity firm once who calls me and says, we've got a reinsurance company that's on the block for 30 million and three large insurance companies are bidding on it. We're missing something. Uh, would you come in? And I said, sure. So I came in, I looked at it and I thought, oh my goodness, you got to take this thing off the market. Just give me you know, 90 days. And I restructured a few things here and there and we put it back on the market for 53 million and the same three companies bid on it and bought it. One of them bought it because you have to know where to look. And um, I'll give you a very uh, simple example. Yeah. Um, I'm at a dinner party with some friends and we're in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And one of the guys there had a, a he was a contractor. He did um, remodeling of homes and he wanted to sell his business. He had nine vans with guys out there. So it was, it was doing very well. And he asked me what you know, here's my numbers, here's what I do, here's how it works. There wasn't a lot of room there. And I said, he said, what can I do? This is how much I can get for my business. Uh, I don't want to give you the number, but it was was a reasonable number. And I said, well, there's more you can do. I said, let me give you a a, a saying, a formula. OCD equals higher valuation. And he said, huh? I said, when people ask me what I aspire to be, I'm, I'm not, but I would aspire to be proudly OCD, cross every T and dot every I. So I said, he, I said, did you come here in one of your vans? He said, yes, I did, because I'm doing a job down the block. I said, show me the van. And he opens the van, and it's what you would expect, you know, tools piled up. Mm-hmm. And I said, if you were OCD, what would this van look like? It would be pristine. Everything would be in its place. All the, the extension cords would be wrapped uh, you know, wrapped up and coiled and hung up and everything would be meticulous. And I said, do that with your nine vans and let the buyer see that. And you won't have to worry about getting the higher valuation. I, he, he wanted to get an extra million dollars on, on top of what he was asking. And he felt he was top of the market. And I said, now when you do that, ask another 3 million on top of it. Hmm. And they look at the vans and they go, oh, my God, this is amazing. This guy has crossed every T, dot every I. I've never seen anything like it. And you know, he it got goes it. To that kind of concept that how you do one thing is how you do everything. And I imagine if a buyer sees those vans in particular, like, like these, are, these are amazing, the rest of his business must be amazing as well, right? Like it, it kind of all flows well, through. 
It's interesting you say that. Can I share another example of a, a company that I bought, I bought? I went out to look at a, a data company. Now, anytime you buy a technology company, here's the, 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 the big secret. Everybody's software code sucks. I'm sorry, that's a technical term, but it <laughs> sucks. Because it's, we'll get to the documentation later. Uh, we don't have time. We got to get to market. They're rushing to market. It's terrible. So there's a company I was looking at and it was 5 million and it legitimately was 5 million. Um, it was worth it. I go in and I bring in sort of a team of forensic programmers and I say, I want a 200 page spiral bound book, you know, three ring book rather that shows me why their code sucks. And they do this analysis, and of course, their code sucks. And I put it on the table, and I say, I'll give you $4 because it's going to cost me a million dollars to fix your code. And the CEO and the, and the investors, there's nothing they can say. You've now found their worst nightmare of a secret, and they know it. Mm -hmm. Because they know it, they can't argue it. Now, here's the reverse of that. If I'm selling a company that's worth $5 million, I'm going to sell it for seven. Why? Because I go into the code and the way I write code is aside from the programmer's documentation, which means nothing. Everyone says, oh, we're DOD. We do, you know, Department of Defense standards. Again, uh, a technical term, bull, bullpucky. I go in and I do a, I have a narrative for every module because everything is written mod in a modular fashion. Every module has a, 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 a a module written in English, a narrative of what that module does. It has links to the screenshots. It has a screencast with the end user using it and discussing it. And then there's an audio uh, recording, an MP3, with the end user talking to the developer, the programmer. Well, the end user goes first and the programmer goes second because otherwise he'll tune out after he talks. That's in the code. So when they bring their people in to look at the code, they go, oh, my God, look at this thing. Yeah, if, if he did this, I can't even imagine how good everything else is. Right. And boom. So, sometimes you get, it's you those get a little level. things. That, I mean, it can be probably just a nightmare to get it all together. But, I mean, if you can increase or decrease the valuation in the seven figures, sometimes even more by doing that, uh, it's, it's a step that most people aren't willing to take, right? That well, yeah. I mean, and where do you look? I'm, I'll share some of the secrets if if you don't mind me sharing it with your audience. Oh, we hate on this. Re <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. On this reinsurance company from thirty to fifty three, what I did was I said, okay, what's the persistency? How long do accounts usually stay on? Okay, they stay on thirty one months. This company, they were on seventy four months. Do you know what an incredible profit that is to not have to go out and spend the cost of acquisition for new customers and to not have that kind of sales force because they stay on? How many admin people does it take to service every 100 clients? They were running at 40% of industry average. Four people for every 10 that the industry had to service them, which meant they were incredibly efficient. So I, went, I go down those routes and I found a dozen things that were there. Now, I, I, you know, then you get into lost carry forwards and credits and, and a lot of financial things as well. But when you put the entirety, the totality of the package together, we were able to take it from 30 to 53, which is, you know, incredible. Yeah. I mean, unless, unless you don't like those extra taxes you have to pay on all that extra money you make. Yeah. You know, capital gains besides, you know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So 
I'd love to dive into just a handful more of examples about the way that you think differently versus, I guess, conventional business and marketing wisdom uh, from some of the things that maybe you impressed the uh, Fortune 500 CEOs from the uh, from the early days in your 20s to some of the ways that you're doing now. Like, what are, how's the way most people think? And then what are some of the twists that you bring to it? Well, I look in different places. Uh, I don't look at things head on. That's the easy way. I look at things from inside out, up, down, backwards. There's always a back door. And I take contrary views. Um, I can sort of shotgun a few of these to you. Um, a battery technology company came to me. I, I didn't go with them. I, I didn't have the bandwidth, but they were having they were having a struggle. They were uh, very high-end battery tech for large corporations, and they decided to create their own home battery to compete with Tesla, and only their battery was much better. Now, I didn't use their battery. I just went by the specs they, they sent me. And they had brought in five different marketing consulting companies, and they said, we need a comparison chart, but it has to be disruptive. So uh, they called me because the um, Silicon Valley investment banking firm had suggested they, they give me a call. And I said, well, my guess is that they just gave you a comparison chart and said, this is how you be disruptive, show that you're better. He said, yes. I said, well, that only puts you firmly in position number two. And the longer you do that, the more you're going to smell like number two. And that's not what you want. I said, what you have to do is use the comparison chart as a support, not as a main message. And he didn't understand. Then he said, you know, give me an example. I said, you have to take a strategy. So it's about spin and positioning. So let me digress for one second and give you an example. It's all about what's in it for me. You could want to save the gay black whales for Jesus, but it's about you and your family first. So a priest goes up to a bishop and says, your eminence, do you mind if I smoke while I pray? He says, of course I mind. Praying is a sacrament. I refuse to allow you to defile it by smoking. I forbid it. Okay. Two weeks later, a new priest gets off the bus in the seminary and says, your eminence, do you mind if I pray while I smoke? Oh, go right ahead. So it's about your motivation. So Mm -hmm. in this case, They wanted to go up against Tesla home batteries. So I said, yes, put up the comparison chart. But at the top of the the, the ad, you say, we are committed to helping Tesla raise the bar on home batteries. Now show your comparison chart with a bar over Tesla and a higher bar over you. And below it, say, come on, Tesla. We know you can do it. And if you need our help, please feel free to call. All right, that that is pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Now, now you're in position one. Yeah. And so the CEO said, they were all laughing and said, what if they raise the bar? I said, I hope they do. Because the next ad is, congratulations, Tesla. We knew you could do it. Unfortunately, we raised our bar as well. So you still have a ways to go. Again, give us a call if we can help. That's so great because Tesla is such a strong brand with a lot of emotional appeal to most of the, uh, you know, most of the country because of who Elon is and what he represents and all the publicity they get without any marketing. And I love how you used it just a psychological tactic to kind of just have the client put themselves above even because, you know, in, in order to do that, you have to be you know, you're assuming a superior frame as it is. Um, there's, there's a lot of cool psychological things in there. I love that. 
Well, and I'll give you the biggest secret about marketing. This is what no one will tell you, and I'm glad that I share it all the time. Marketing is psychology. Mm -hmm. If you want to be a marketer, study psychology. Read all the social psychology books, Gladstone, Early, Gladwell, I'm sorry, Gladwell, Early, you know, all of them. Read those. Yeah. Oh, especially uh, Saldini. I mean, uh, uh, Persuasion and Presuasion are fabulous books. Um, and and read um, uh, the Elements of Power. Uh, the the um, oh, yeah. Green uh, books. Robert Green. Robert Green. Robert Green. You know, understand how. Read the game by um, Neil Strauss. Um, I his name. Yeah, Neil Strauss. Read things that show how people respond. That's what it's about. Uh, One of the largest furniture chains in the country had come to me and they were making their own sleeper sofa. And they couldn't give it away. It wasn't a brand name and it was seen by everyone who came in as sort of a sloppy, you know, attempt at making something. It was a, you know, second class citizen. Mm -hmm. And and so they asked me what to do. And I said, show me the display. And there were like 15 sleeper sofas at all their stores. And I said, okay, go back the two rows, go over three, put it there. Now, you know, that big red sold tag that goes on a item that sold, put that on the couch. They couldn't keep them in stock. (laughs) Well, it had already given people permission to, to, um, to buy it because someone else had bought it. You know, there are, it's, it's about the psychology. Many years ago, late 70s, I'm dating myself. I was a zygote at the time. Uh, a friend of mine built townhouses in Southern California, in the Valley, in San Fernando Valley. Mm-hmm. And he had, I don't remember if it was 20 or 24, and he was selling them for 349 which was high then. It was like really high-end, uh, late, late 70s, uh, early 80s. And he could not sell them. He just couldn't move them. And he came to me and said, what do we do? And I said, I don't, what, I don't know what you do. I know I have no problem. I have no money invested in this. But um, I said, here's what you do. Raise the price to 395 He said, are you crazy? He said, I'm at 350 and I'll go down to 275 I said, raise the price to 395 and say, if you buy within the next 60 days, you can choose either a completely refurbished Concours condition Ford Mustang, coupe or convertible, or a Camaro in the driveway. 69 Camaro, 67 Mustang. Classic refurbished. Within 30 days, every one of them were sold. The cars cost them 20 grand each. Yeah. Yeah. And you, know, you look so, at a comparison so, to like another kind of a marketing uh, campaign or something else, something like this drives directly into the desires of, a, of, a, of the consumer. And they're right. like, I just want it, that so badly. It has to do with relative value. Yeah. And what value people put on it. We used to run contests and we'd say, the winner gets a round, two round-the-world airline tickets. Well, if you go up to 10 people and you say, how much do you think it costs to get an, uh, an unlimited stop round-the-world airline ticket that's good for a year so you can go around the world, two of you? People say, I don't know, 100000 each, 50000 each? They're $2,500 each. But the perception, or I would say the winner has their mortgage based on national average, their mortgage or rent paid for a year. That's $746 at the time we ran it. I think it's nine something now. Um, Or we'll pay your income tax based on national average. It was like $14,000 and 
you know, tax on top of tax, so maybe 20. But the perception is over the top. Yeah. And you would ask me before we started this uh, about techniques for the small uh, entrepreneur, the small, the startup guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, I'll, I'll give you two very quick stories about competing, uh, about competition. Competition is a wonderful thing if you know how to use it. Uh, guy comes to me and uh, I, I don't remember where I met him. I think it was just through a friend and he, his family sold carpets, rugs, you know, art carpets, and uh, they wanted to get online, and there were already a few 800-pound gorillas selling carpets online who had all the traffic. And he said, what do I do? I said, I want you to form five online companies. I want five different websites, five different names, colors, phone numbers, as if you are five completely different companies. Mm-hmm. And again, he's sort of looking at me and saying, uh, what are you, uh, 40 short in a jacket, ties behind you in the back, you know? And he said, why? I said, because on the first one, you're going to say, we will not be undersold by a name number two. And on number two, say, we will not be undersold by a name number three. And on three, name four, four, name five, five, name one. Now start generating traffic to it. Well, it was exponential. And eventually he bought out the other guys, the big 800 pound gorillas who had lost enough weight to be, you know, 80 pound gorillas and, uh, or, or 60 pound monkeys. And he bought them out because he took over. So that's great. So I want to just kind of recap, make sure I understand that. So he was, his product that he sold was carp, like really nice carpets, et cetera, right? Yeah. So they were art on. carpets. Everyone sold the same things. So basically yeah. it was the same catalog. Yeah. Right. So he, so he created these other ones, which gave him this, at least the illusion of a big imprint and a big, um, what do you call it? Um, well, it gave him a presence. chain where one yeah. became five. You got five, you got so much traffic because whoever was on one went to two, whoever yeah. was on two and where it says, you're, I won't be on, on, you're giving them like, right. And so, right? so, so if I went to, to site number two and it says, I'm not going to be undersold by three, I go, well, let me see what three's prices are. So one, piece of traffic, one person going to, to the first website ends up going to five. So basically it was getting five times the value of the traffic for every one he got, he got five different hits on five different sites. And, and if they buy from any of them, it's all his. Oh, okay. Game over. Yeah. Game over. Uh, Many, many, many years ago, I did an infomercial that was um, a little different. Uh, It was early nineties and computers were, becoming all the rage. The internet was really in its infancy. And there were some people, uh, I think it was called net zero offering free internet access. Yeah. Yeah. And encyclopedia Britannica had just come out on, on DVD or CD rather. And so I got on and I was king of sort of the, uh, discount clubs, uh, travel clubs, uh, health clubs, doing this for all the banks and insurance companies. And uh, I, was, I provided all the benefits and some of the marketing. And so I said, 1,000 free software programs when you take a 30-day trial membership in our discount club, our discount shopping club. And then it was, of course, but wait, there's more. If you call in the next 10 minutes, we'll give you free internet. And for the first uh, 500 callers, you get the entire Encyclopedia Britannica on CD, a $500 value, absolutely free. I, it was September. They were going to come out with their next year, and I bought 
their entire stock for a dollar each. Oh, that's amazing. So, so what I knew was everyone was going to copy this. They weren't going to, I went through, the, got all the contracts and got signed agreements with all the programmers. They didn't care. Other people would just copy it. You know, how many ab flexes were there? So what I did was I had bought all the A time, A time meaning the prime time. Uh, at that time, I bought all the commercial time at, you know, during Star Trek and all the places where people who had computers would, would be. And I had quietly bought the B time. So I created a second infomercial with a different name, different announcer, different product. Uh, design, everything, but the same offer. And I'd get on and, and just about three weeks later when I figured everyone was ready to start copying me and launching, I launched my own competition to compete against myself and say, don't buy from them. We were the original. They took our idea and went with it. We're the ones with the contracts with the programmers. And so I started an online battle, an on, on TV battle between the two. <laughs> and I'd get letters from people saying, I bought from you because I know you were really the first one. And, you know, it, it became this cult, if you will. And we pinned the needle. I mean, we dominated this whole genre. And then, of course, everybody started offering free product if you take a trial membership. So, That's great. You know, I've heard, I've heard of that concept many times, which is start, start your own competition and start a company right. out there. I have not yet talked to anybody who's actually done that. And I love that story because, I, as I said, I've always been fascinated by it and I kind of get it conceptually, but I love the fact that you actually did it. That's so great. Oh, I teach people how to do it all the time. Uh, here's one for digital marketers because we're working in a digital space. How do you live in an Amazon world? How many times have you put, have you seen a product that's on Amazon and it starts to scale and it's moving up and what happens? All of a sudden you lose 80% of your business and what do you know? Amazon has the exact same product and because they own the customers and the traffic, they're diverting everybody to their product. Yeah, it's a big now, problem. If I'm, if I'm a marketing consultant, I say kudos to Amazon. I have to. It's yep. brilliant. But if I'm the guy who made the, that formula, I'm, I'm not happy. So do you think there's a little guy with glasses and a bald head sitting there waiting for a certain number to hit? No, it's an algorithm. Mm-hmm. So I say to people on Amazon, take your product and make five of them and start scaling all five. You'll never get as high as you would with one single one, but the height you get is times five and you stay under their algorithm and you end up making more money than if you had one that scaled all the way up. And certainly you never come you get to be on well, their radar. And you just own more real estate, right? You've got, you may have five exactly. listings on one page as opposed to one. And right. yeah, you can take that scattershot approach. I love that. That's it. Cause I know that that's a very so, real, that's a very real issue for a lot of Amazon sellers out right now. There was actually a, there was a great, um, there was a great article. You, you're familiar with the onion? The yeah, kind of of satire. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm just looking for it right here. There was a funny article that just says um, <laughs> it's supposedly, it's not written by Jeff Bezos, but it supposedly is. And the title is, my advice to anyone starting a business is to remember that someday I will crush you. And then the article is <laughs> hilarious. Right. He, gives, he gives like great entrepreneurially advice and he's like, and this will serve you up until the time we come and take your entire market with one pen stroke. Well, you know, perspective is interesting. Uh, yeah. I, I was, I've traveled a lot and in, I was in Madrid and I went to a bullfight because I wanted the psychological and cultural experience of this. Mm-hmm. And you're, the, the, the matadors are, you know, they're vicious and the, 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 
they're really hurting the bull and you're saying, oh my God, you know, this is terrible. Then the bull gets angry and rams the matador and you go, wait a minute, that's not right. You know, you you know, go get them. You know? So it, it's how it changes on a dime. Well, here's how I look at Amazon. I'm a big Amazon fan. I, I, re, I have tremendous respect for Jeff Bezos. I think the man is brilliant yeah. because if I were a marketer, doing what he does, I would do exactly the same thing. And there's not one person I believe listening to this today who doesn't, wouldn't want to be Jeff Bezos if they could and do the same things. The problem is everyone is most people, everyone who's not Jeff Bezos is at a different position saying he's hurting me. He's Unless not. you're a consumer. He, Consumers right. love him, investors love him. Right. And the only people right. that doesn't love him are small business who are trying to compete with him. But so if you're a small business, don't, don't be angry learn from him. Look at what he does. He's a wonderful strategist. You know, people say he bought Whole Foods. Well, if you dig deeper and you look into the future, and we're going to talk about future in just a, a few minutes, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, all those Whole Foods, he, you know, originally he bought half of the radio shacks that went out. Yeah. He's buying standalone locations. He's not buying something that's in a high rise. Well, what do you think the flat roof of a Whole Foods can be used for? <laughs> I mean, talk about a staging for drones in the city. You know, so there are strategies. You know, people say to me, I, I would say to people, you know, in 10, 15 years, 15 for sure, there won't be any franchise car dealers. Uh, the, the OEMs have been trying to get rid of them for years. They tried in the recession. Chrysler, you know, shut them all down. They all had to come back. The franchise laws are so strict. But, the, you know, the way cars will be sold, if they're sold at all, and they actually won't be, uh, would be in shopping malls because electric cars are an inevitability. Kind of the we way know Tesla that. does theirs, right? You see, a, you go well, by a Tesla dealership exactly. next to the yeah. Right. But if you think about it, a dealer makes five times more in the service department. I, I've worked in like 30 industries, so I'm a wealth of useless information. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't call it They useless. make five t <laughs> Well, um, uh, you haven't spoken to my wife, so anyway. Uh, but they make five times more in the service department than they do in sales, and there won't be anything to service. So that goes away. So the dealers, in their inevitable wisdom, say, I'll make it up on sales and F&I, finance and insurance. Yep. Well, you're not going to buy a lot of service contracts on a car where the whole motor costs you know, 500 or $800 to replace. So there's not a reason to buy extended warranties on all these things. And because there's no barrier to entry, to electric cars, the Chinese and the Indians are going to come in and the Eastern Europeans are going to come in. So it becomes a commodity. So how can the dealers survive? Now, that being said, all the parts companies, the support companies for the dealers, all of that goes away. That's going to have a big hit on the economy. Cars are going to be autonomous. Yes, we know that. But do you think the cities are going to just say to Uber and Lyft, hey, knock yourselves out? Well, the cities are losing parking revenue from meters, no tickets. Uh, they still have to maintain the roads and the streets, maybe not traffic lights anymore. So where's that going to go? You have to start asking questions about where we're going to know how to frame your business within it. And so, so that's, that's important. I'm sorry. Go so on. I, know I love that. And I think it does... Uh, dovetail perfectly into a concept that you and I discussed offline the other day, which is time travel. Yeah, this is where people really take my measurements for a white jacket that ties in the back. <laughs> 
I teach time travel, and I do this in my mastermind group. I've done it to corporations. I've, I've trained multiple departments. Time is a construct created by our minds to help us create mile markers, if you will, and navigate through our lifespan on Earth. That's really what it is. Mm -hmm. It gives us relationships. It gives us analogies, points of reference. But the way that we're wired is that we can only answer present and past tense questions. So let me propose something. Every project, we're going to call a project, Project X. You decide you're going to do something, and it, we're, we're calling it Project X. So, Brad, you have three sides to Project X. The Project X you plan to do, the Project X you actually launch and do, and that same Project X a year later you look back on with hindsight and wish to God you had done. Mm -hmm. Which is the best of those three? Hindsight always. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could see the future? Well, if we could, we'd all be living at the beach driving Aston Martins. So that's not viable. Mm -hmm. But what if you could go into the future? What if you could, and I'm not talking about an H.G. Wells time machine. I'm talking about using certain, I mean, again, this is the white jacket and foam rubber wallpaper conversation, but I've created techniques. Uh, I teach them. It takes about 45 minutes to go through the process. It takes about an hour and a half to teach them where I can take you ahead into the future, 30 days, 90 days, a year, two years, three years, five years. I can actually get you to a point where if I asked you what year it is, you're going to say 2023 and you will believe it. You can actually sit there believing you are in 2023. And I've perfected a way to do this. Once you're there, I don't need to worry about your inability to see the future because I'm going to ask you past tense questions about the project you launched five years earlier in 2018. Okay. What happened when you launched? What did you learn? What was the response? What was the reaction? What did your customers think? What did your suppliers do? Were there regulatory issues? What did your competition do? I start asking questions through different lenses. One of the most important lenses I use is what did the critics say? Mm. And now you look back and you find all the holes in your product because now you have to face reality. Because if I ask you what the critics say, you're gonna to have to look at it through their eyes. Uh, I'll digress for a second. When I would interview someone, they would, I'd say, uh, what are your weaknesses? And they'd go, oh, well, I just work too hard. I never know when to stop. I, I just, I push too far. You know, employers are going, oh, yes. And it's all crap. Right. What I say is, when I call your references, and I will, and I ask them what they consider to be your weaknesses, what are they going to tell me? Well, now that now they're backpedaling and they can do some damage control. So they're very open about what their real weaknesses are because they know I'm going to find out and they want <laughs> to do damage control. So here's the same thing. If I say, what did the critics say? So a Silicon Valley uh, software company, very prominent software company calls me and they're coming out with a new product, uh, really cutting edge at the time. And I look at it and I do this exercise in my mind all the time uh, with everything. And I, I think about what's missing and I say, okay, I do this exercise with them and I say, what, show me your version two and your version three list of what you want to put in. And they do. And I say, I bring them through this exercise and I 
take them five years in the future and I look back and I ask them all these questions and we whiteboard all the answers and then I get to, what did the critics say? Did they give you five stars or how many stars did they give you and what did they say you were missing? And when I ask that question, they start filling in all the holes. What do you know? A lot of those holes were in version two and three, which in the present day, you say, eh, we'll put it in later. We can't do it now. And I show them how for the little bit of extra time, and this was the difference between launching in March or launching, I'm sorry, uh, January one or April one, they basically came out with version three. Because once they were committed to taking version two and three and blending it into their production schedule, their programming schedule, it didn't take much longer. Well, they launched to five-star reviews. And that particular software at that time period was do- dominated the market. So you, know, I love you can about, use this. Yeah, you know what Sorry. I love about this, um, just psychologically, the effect um, is that it, what it, and at least what I'm hearing and what I kind of believe, that putting yourself in the future and looking back, it almost disassociates you from... Because if if I'm thinking right now, what could go wrong in the future? There's still I'm still so involved in the present and so invested in it. It's really kind of hard to zoom out. But if it if you imagine that it's already done, you're a little dissociated from it. And I think it's a lot easier then to kind of view it with an impartial, like okay, I'm looking back, well, I can see how these things went. Because it's not what's out in front of you; it's behind you. And there's less emotional attachment to all the potential negatives. I don't know if that's part of the psychology of what makes it work, but I can well, kind of see it as one of the reasons yeah. why it would be effective. It's freeing because if yeah. you are in the present trying to look for the future, one, we're not wired that way, and two, it's a struggle. Yeah. If I take those barriers away and free your mind so that you believe it's the future and you're looking back, it's easy. It's a piece of cake. You remember things from 10 years ago and 10 days ago, and in your mind, they're the same. Yeah, they happened yeah. at the same moment. So you, once you understand, and I teach people how to pin themselves. When I say pin, you can jump to 30, 90 days, a, a year, two years. You can just jump to a certain pin in a map and stay there and live there. Well, this works and, also perfectly with one of my favorite strategies I learned years ago, and I employ it both in my life and in my uh, with my clients and partners. But um, there was a strategy that Walt Disney used to do where, and you may be familiar with this or maybe not, but... Uh, they used to say you never knew which you know which Walt was going to walk into the office. Was it going to be the dreamer, the doer, or the critic? And he was very deliberate. Uh, I think to the point where he had three different offices as well. When they were imagining a new movie or ride or or project, it would be the dreamer office where they only allowed to come up with what is possible, but not plan it or critique it. And then there was another office where the only thing they could do is storyboard or plan what it is, but not dream it or not critique it. But then finally, that third room, which is the critics room, that's where everybody's job is just to sit there and think about, okay, we're not here to add more stuff to this and we're not to plan it. We're here to think about what did we miss? What, what, what are we missing out? What are the problems or the hurdles that we weren't thinking about before that could derail this whole thing? And I've always loved this framework of giving each dreamer, doer, and critic their kind of time to have their say, but then you've just taken that concept to the next level of saying, yeah, well, especially if you are critiquing it or anything, do it from kind of this time travel, uh, futuristic perception, because it can, I can see how that would make it so much more powerful and effective in doing so. But that's really interesting how your strategy there aligns perfectly with something that I kind of 
do a little bit of as well. I love that. Well, it's, it's the most powerful technique people have told me they've ever used. It's life-changing and changing their business. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of things that will affect things. Cognitive bias is, uh, and emotional attachment are just the, the, the death knell to business. They destroy more businesses. Ego and bias are the things that kill more businesses. And I show people how to eliminate them, how to step aside from them and away from them because they'll kill you. Your predetermined beliefs or your emotional attachment to something is irrational. Yeah, that happened to me about a year and a half ago. I started an e-commerce brand and uh, fell in love with the brand and the idea. And I knew at the time that I was putting blinders on myself because I was so emotionally attached. And I thought, I can will this to work. And when it got to the point of like maybe about nine months to a year in, I started going, man, I really broke all of the cardinal rules of of planning this stuff out. And I ignored so many things. I've just got to shut it down and lose a bunch of money because I didn't. And yet you would do that again. You would because people can't help themselves. I I, I liken it to dead horses. You can't Mm -hmm. beat a dead horse, you know? And so I say, okay, where are the dead horses here? What am I holding on to? And I start questioning how other people would, would take it on you know, examples of things. If, if somebody, if you came in to a company as a new CEO, what would you do differently than that company does? So given that question, cause you'd have your own plan, right? Mm-hmm. If you were taken out of your company today, Brad, and a new CEO came in, what would he do that you're not? What would he see that you don't? What direction would he take it? And if you can answer that question, you've opened your eyes to new possibilities. Right. Simply by shifting the perception around frees you up and probably opens up just for a million different ideas. I love that. I, I, remember, when, I remember when the government, uh, when George W. bailed out the, the car industry and said, cash for clunkers. Yeah. And, you know, we're going to do whatever it is, $30 billion, $3 billion. I don't remember what the number is. I said, well, why don't you just write a check to Toyota? Because that's all you're going to do. You just bailed out the American automotive industry, not Ford, but Chrysler and GM. You're going to give people $4,500 extra cash when they trade in their cars. And all you're doing is feeding Toyota, Nissan, and Honda because that's where they're going. Why don't you apply some logic and say, if you buy a U.S. brand car, Ford, Chrysler, GM, we give you $4,500. If you buy a foreign make car made in America, Toyota, Nissan, Honda that are made here, you get $2,500 and anything else you get zero. Right. Everybody would have bought a Ford Chrysler or, or GM car to get their $4,500 car industry problems gone. Hmm. But there's, there's, you know, nobody takes that next step. They look at something for what's put on the table and they don't question it. My advice to your listeners is question everything and keep questioning. If you don't ask why at least five times in a row for everything, you're not going deep enough. Why are you doing this? Okay, that's why. Well, why did you do that? Okay, that's why I did that. Well, tell me why you you felt that was important. You got to go deep and, and not just why, but you know, who, what, why, when, where, and how. The more you question, the more things occur to you. When you take things for granted or make assumptions, then you get into cognitive bias, emotional attachment, willing something to, 
to ha- to happen that won't. And you do it over and over. People repeat their patterns. And I show them how to break that. And w- one other thing I wanted to say, humor is one of the greatest tools in in marketing. People don't use it. Uh, you know, I mentioned that, you know, I did the thing of, you know, not a robot I am kind of thing. Um, but even emails that I send out, I, I recently took over as CEO of a multinational software company. It's a um, marketing intelligence platform. It's not, it's marketing automation on steroids. Mm-hmm. It has an artificial intelligence base foundation to it. And it does everything. I mean, you don't need to buy any other software. If you use something like uh, one of my companies, we use Infusionsoft and probably 40 other programs with this, everything is baked in and you can scale. You know, when you successfully scale a product, it's, it's addictive. Well, we coined the term and trademarked it called digital crack. Digital (laughs) crack is successfully scaling. I actually saw that on the website and I was like, ah, that's, that's funny. Yeah, well, people are already calling saying, oh, would you come and speak about digital crack? Uh, I, I'm getting a kick out of it. But, you know, how you use humor, we, I, I don't want to blow my own horn here for a second, but we went to a trade show. We did a trade show, and we got leads, and I was just coming on the company at the time, and they were sending out follow-up emails that were mind-numbing. I mean, thank you for stopping by our booth. We were so impressed with you, what you had to say, and we want to meet you, and we want to have your children, and, you know, all of this. And can I send you a puppy? You know, that kind of stuff. It was the same thing you've seen all the time. And it was around Christmas time. And I said, no, you, you, you gotta, you gotta step out of the mold. And so I wrote an email. It took me like 15 minutes that was light for the holiday. And we pinned the needle on response and people still call and say, you know, I'll never forget that email you sent. Do something that's memorable. Do something that sticks out that people will remember, that people will take notice of, that people can enjoy. I try to put a little bit of humor into things where I can. I mean, I, you know, I, I could send you the email if you want. It's fun. It's, it's light and entertaining. Well, you know, that's um, one of the reasons that you know, people ask me, why do you create you know, a show called Bacon Wrapped Business? And I was like, because it actually introduced, it's not the Brad Costanzo show, uh, which bored me. And creating something with a little bit of fun and humor, it almost gave me permission to even have a little bit more fun with it and create a more entertaining vibe. So I had that in my mind precisely when I named this show. And Exactly. So, because yeah, it does make people, we're in an entertainment society, right? Especially this country, entertainment is our biggest export. Can I, can I offer something? If if your, if your audience won't think, oh my God, he's an egotistical asshole, which they might think anyway. Can I share this email with you? Because I think that they might get a kick out of what it does. and, And if, if your audience can start to do things like this, don't go overboard maybe have a a friend or someone who's a writer help you. But when you touch people and engage them, uh, uh, before I read it, I'm going to give you an example of something. How many times have you gotten an email and you say, Oh, I don't want this. And you hit unsubscribe. What happens when you hit unsubscribe, Brad It says, thanks for being, you know, sorry to miss you. Sorry to lose you. Right. That's it. I don't do that. What I do is I realize, wait a minute, it cost me a lot of money to get that, person's email and have them subscribe and now I'm losing them and I don't accept that 
So when it hits on subscribe, it goes to a page and then there's four blocks, rectangular blocks. The first one is in 16 point type and it says the little checkbox and it says, I'm under a lot of pressure recently. So I'd like to cut back to just once a week. Okay. The next box has 12 point type and it says my significant other tells me I cannot uh, read more than two of these emails a month. Please change my subscription. <laughs> the third box has 10 point type and it says my therapist says once a month is all that it can, I can handle or he's going to charge me more. And the last one is in eight point type and it says, there is nothing I can say or do that can keep me on this list. I've, I've taken counsel. I've talked to religious leaders. I have uh, spoken with family and friends. I must unsubscribe, parenthesis, wink, wink. Why don't you check back with me in six months just to see how I'm doing? And that's the last box in small print. And, and so people get engaged. It's fun. It's engaging. Well, in, in, in many cases, I can't go into the specific ones, we hold about 40% of them stay with us. Yeah. 40% of the people who are ready to unsubscribe, and guess how engaged they are, and guess how much they buy and re-engage with the whole company. And nobody thinks about this. We do the same thing with save programs. When you're on a continuity program and you leave, People go, oh, okay, well, no, we, in our, in our case with the software, we use AI and we make them an offer they can't refuse. I use animation, I use fun, I use gags, I use all kinds of things that get them to laugh. Yeah, and you know, and, that's, it's huge because when you think of also just with the unsubscribe mentality, sometimes, and we've all done that, sometimes we're just in a bad mood and we get an email from something we normally like, but it's just... It's just off and we're like, ah, screw it. I don't need this anymore. I'm going to unsubscribe. But you don't necessarily mean that. And no, because you're busy and it's, you know, I, I, get, I get a lot of newsletters. And so there's this one that I really like because it's what's new in technology. Yep. And I read it all the time. But there are days that I just delete it. I go, I'm too busy. I can't even think about this today. But others will say, no, no, I'm just going to unsubscribe. I've had enough of this. We all do that. I'll share this email that I, I, I wrote, again, not to show off, but to hopefully show people what they can do. So it was Christmas time. The company is called TouchCR. That's the name of our company. Uh, it's the marketing intelligence software, and we can do data pins, and it's micro-targeting. We've, we've even achieved 98% inbox placement, not deliverability, but inbox placement. It's amazing. Uh, what we do. And so this was the third in the sequence of emails and it was sent out three or four days before Christmas. The subject line is Santa Claus takes Christmas in stride. And it was dear so-and-so. That's right. Santa is chilling for Christmas. Thanks to touch CR, Santa not only knows who's been naughty and nice, but just how naughty and just how nice. He knows when you are sleeping. He knows when you're awake. And thanks to more than 700 data points that can be appended in real time, Santa knows exactly what you want for Christmas. Parenthesis, that's right. Thanks to Touch CR, you won't get an ugly sweater this year. Can you say Aston Martin? Wouldn't you like to be Santa Claus to your customers, knowing what they really want and then selling it to them? Well, you're in luck. Because Santa's work is done, he has the time to tell you exactly how Touch CR can help you target your customers, just like he did. After all, don't you want to deliver the right product to the right customer just like Santa? 
parenthesis, if not, we know a warehouse where you can buy a lot of ugly sweaters. Twas the night before Christmas and TouchCR was there with data points, tracking, and intelligence software. The customers were filled with food from the market, while messaging and emails never failed to hit their target. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, because your competition didn't use TouchCR, so their presence didn't matter. <laughs> to schedule a one-on-one -on -one with Santa, click the link below. You know, the response to this day, we get people who refer back to it and say, you know, I found you because of that email or I responded because of the email. I've never forgotten that. You know, we use it as a template in our company now. It engages. Don't be afraid to, to take a chance. Yeah. No, I, I How many times do you split test? And yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to jump on what you're saying, but say, you split you're, test, right. you throw out lines. Yeah. Yeah, and people fun. are bored these days. Like we are all going through life. I'm, I'm sorry, did you say something? What? what? <laughs> but, right? But most people are bored. Most people are going through life just in this uh, zombie-like haze, and sometimes you got to shake it out of them. And, some, and oftentimes, it's a little bit of humor or levity or creativity can make the yeah. difference in the world from being this stodgy, just e-commerce brand. Yeah, I'm going to say, I'm going to use a different word. I don't think people are bored. I think they're overloaded. I think that there's so many messages and so much, um, so many people, uh, companies vying for their attention. It's not that they're bored. It's that they're desensitized a little bit. They're numb, I think. And so to break through the numbness, because uh, I think people generally like their lives and what they're doing. I, I'd like to believe that. But so boredom wouldn't be it. It's just overloaded and numb. There's so much out there. Yeah. So, you know. We Standing try to break out, the mold. Grabbing somebody's bit. attention, being a little bit different is, is really key these days because. I, I, saw, I saw a billboard in Dallas. It was amazing. I, I mean, my, I was slowing down driving. It said, <laughs> your wife is hot. And I thought, wow, this. okay, that's a hell of a billboard. You know, and it was for an air conditioning company and we could cool her off, you know, that kind of thing. I thought that's. That's wonderful. Things that are so clever. Taco Bell, think outside the bun. It, it's brilliant. It's yep. absolutely brilliant. A friend of mine did an ad for a photo lab way back in the day. It says, we keep our best people in the dark. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it, you can have some fun with things. You know, uh, it just hit me. I don't, I don't know if you guys actually know each other, but we've got a lot of mutual friends and he's down there in Austin. Uh, are you familiar? Do you know Roy Williams? No, I don't. So there's a, uh, you think a lot like him and especially with your uh, story. So Roy owns a company called the Wizard Academy and he's a great. Oh, I've heard of that. Yes, I have. I yeah. have heard of it. I, I don't know him. but I think you and Roy would probably get along swimmingly well. But um, just because of the, like a lot of your approach to the different angles and the different stories and different ways to stand out in the minds of your consumer really are, like you mentioned in the beginning, they are unique. It's not the same straight line approach that uh, most people end up taking. Uh, David, I, I want to move to kind of some of the big stuff or the things that are taking most of your time these days. Like what are some of the projects? You mentioned that um, you're the CEO of this TouchCR and there's probably a bunch of other things you're working on. Is there anything else you want oh. to tell us to give us a window into your world? What it looks like well, I mean, it, change, it changes all the time. I always own four or five companies. I'm always consulting for another four or five. Um, I'm, I'm sort of up there in, in what I charge to, uh, to consult. 
but I, uh, I own a corporate training company. We do online training for corporate employees on a very, very big scale. Mm-hmm. Um, I do some reinsurance work. Uh, I have a few products that we, I do digital marketing on that are, uh, kind of fun and a little bit different. So yeah, I'm always involved in a lot of different things. I only take things that are different, unique, disruptive, or considered impossible. Mm. Uh, a large insurance company came to me and said, we want you to help us build a whole new line of insurance brokerages. And my response, although my, it wasn't my out loud voice, I said, just shoot me in the head now. I, I mean, I couldn't do that if my life depended on it. And they backed up a truck of money. And I just said, there's no way. It, it, it's, it, it's not me. I can't do something like that. But give me something that I can do disruptively, that I can just pin the needle and break records. And, and no one will know I did it, but I'll share something with you that, you know, I do a lot of philanthropy and mm-hmm. I've come up with ways to uh, provide jobs for veterans and help uh, people on medical lists. And I support, I'm a big supporter of the military. I'm, I'm a very passionate uh, American and love this country. And uh, I'm very eternally grateful for men and women who put their lives on the line for our way of life. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, so I do, I, 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 um, host the, I have, for five years, I hosted the military ball VIP reception at my house in Dallas and we'd have two or 300 people come and, um, it's a big fundraising event the next night. So the VIPs would come, uh, you know, so uh, it's why I do the mastermind. It's not people do masterminds because that's their living. It's not for me. It was, it started out as a burden because I'm, I mean, so incredibly busy, but I was challenged to do it to give back and to teach people what to do. One of the uh, companies who came to it, because the, the person who challenged me to do this said, you're going to change lives and companies. So one company was stuck at $9 million, couldn't get out of his own way. Um, we got him unstuck and he's going to shoot up to 30 million. Uh, two other people had startups. They couldn't, they couldn't figure it out. And now they've got all the answers and they're going. And the more questions they have, the more answers they know how to get. So it's been incredibly emotionally fulfilling to do this and, and a bit of fun too. Um, you know, I don't have guest speakers. I just, it's me. I mean, we do some round tables, we do some hot seats where everybody gets 15 minutes of fame and we solve mm-hmm. their problems. But who are some of the type I of teach, people that you're, you think would be a really good fit for your ma- And by the way, I, I, we'll go ahead and give the, um, the URL now, now if people are interested in the, the marketing mastery or wait, is it group, the marketing mastery group, or there's yeah. a shorter version, the, the marketing MG.com. Yeah. yeah. Either one. And I'll put those in the show notes and people can check them out. But so, yeah, what are the ideal types of people? Are there, are they doing a certain well, amount of business? Is there industries that are better than others or, you know, I have a, a very interesting, if you go to the site and you look at some of the testimonials, the one thing that everyone says is they, they couldn't believe the quality of the people. I yeah. keep it small. I keep it to 30, uh, 30, 32, no more. I, I'm not into doing 100, 200 people. I'm not, that's not what I do. I want to keep it small and intimate so it's, it's effective. I, I turned down 11 people because they didn't have anything to offer. I want people who 
are, it's not that everyone has to offer because some people just have a need, but I, I'm looking for smart people. I'm looking for people who are passionate about what they do, who want to learn and improve and who have perspectives to share and aren't afraid to share them. Now, I have, uh, I have the head of a very uh, prestigious uh, boutique investment banking firm. I have the CEO of a uh, chain of clinics. I have uh, some of the top digital marketers in the country uh, are coming as well because digital marketing is so, so important. Uh, I have a, a, a dear friend of mine who's, who's there. He's a, a, a underachiever. He's a, a doctor and a lawyer and a concert violinist and a championship figure skater and a professional magician. Sounds like a slacker. And he's yeah, he is so lazy, but he's also one of the single most brilliant people you'll ever meet. And his perspective on everything is so unique. And that's what I look for, too. Well, our mutual friend Gene was there. And, you know, uh, Gene is a consultant to large companies. And he's he's been around the block a few times, has a couple of T-shirts to prove it. <laughs> and... You know, the first the first day it was, you know, Gene, what do you think? He says, oh, you know, it's interesting. And the second day it was like, oh, my God, you just knocked my socks off with this thing. And so everybody gets something. And so that's what I'm, I'm looking for. A lot of these people are own companies. Most of them own companies. or And a few are starting entrepreneurs who need a jumpstart. And others are running very, very high quality companies doing, you know, 15 to $40 million a year. So it's all over the board. Uh, one woman came and she's a small startup. I mean, really, you know, working out of her garage kind of startup. And she was a little intimidated. And I said to, to her, I said, you're here. You earned your seat at the table. You're here because you are scary smart. You're one of the smartest people in this room. You have nothing to be intimidated about. Just because you haven't achieved what you've chosen to do now, you've been very successful in other things. And she let go of it. And she was a rock star. And she came out of her shell and participated and got feedback and people made connections and they're working together and doing deals and I'm, I'm, I'm so proud of, of what the, the people are accomplishing. It's, it's really, uh, it's humbling. It really is. And I, I never and thought I would. What, four times yeah. a year? I do it four times a year. The next one is April 26 and 27 in Dallas. Yeah, today's um, April coming 4th up is the month. time we're recording this. Yeah. Uh, coming right. up. And, and people, if they want to go, they can go to, uh, they can go to the, ma the marketing mastery group.com and, um, uh, it looks like they can fill out an application and then, then I'll interview them and they can interview me and, um, make sure they're comfortable. You know, I, I want people who want to learn, who are willing to open their minds up to new possibilities and new ways who generally genuinely want to take their companies to the next level and get out of neutral. That's the criteria. I had some people who were in the oil and gas industry whom I've known for years from consulting and they said, oh, we want to be there. I said, why? You can offer nothing to entrepreneurs, to, to existing businesses. You are in, in a niche that doesn't translate. And I turned them down and a few others. I had some people who I felt would be disruptive, even though they were successful. They were missing a few dots on their dice and I didn't want that kind of disruption. So uh, 11 people were turned down, but we had 30 people there. Um, and I'm, I'm sort of running 
trying to run two groups of 30, and that's it. I won't go more than that, but that way I can intermix them. So there's always sort of fresh blood, if you will, and yep. new connections to be made. And I have to admit, it is, it's exhausting. Um, I host a dinner at my house in Dallas the night between the two sessions. Uh, it is exhausting. And I tell people, you know, if you want laser lights and fancy pyrotechnics, go see Tony Robbins, <laughs> you know, but if you want to roll up your sleeves and push and have your brain explode, have your head explode and walk out two days later, more mentally exhausted and excited than you've ever been in your entire life, begging for a Valium or Thorazine or a, a vodka drip, then this is the place to go because this is a roll up your sleeves, high intensity session. I don't have guest speakers. Right. You know, I spend the, the morning. It's me one topic after another. And I move fast. People take 20 pages of notes, but it's all on video so they can watch it again That's and right. again. And then we do two one hour sessions of five different round tables. So it's 10 hours of round table, even though everyone can go to, only two of them, we record them all, so they're online. And then we do two hours of hot seat. Uh, every 15 minutes, there's a new challenge. Someone in the group has a problem, a challenge, uh, a stumbling block. We ask a few questions. I pick out some tools that we're going to use uh, to do it, you know, uh, psychological tools or techniques. And then we go around the room, and everybody gets into the frame of mind of solving the problems, and I guide them and tweak everything a little bit. And we do that eight times. And so we repeat the exact same thing the second day. So it's six hours of me doing a brain dump. And it's, it's four hours of roundtables, which is 20 hours total. Uh, five different roundtables with mm -hmm. subject matter experts at each one. And then it's four hours of 16 hot seats. Right. Well, and, I, I like the intimacy of it too, like the size and then the ability to interact. And it's not just sitting there listening to somebody talk the whole time, but it's that interaction. It's the hot seat, the round tables. And I mean, if you, when you fill it up with not just yourself, but other smart people, uh, you know, magic can happen. And that's what. Well, you know, and, and I make myself available. You know, there's no one in this mastermind who could hire me as a consultant. That's not why I do this, Right. but I make myself available to them in between so that if they have a question or a stumbling block, that's my obligation to them. And I say, just call me. Don't call me every day, but call me when you, you have a need. And I spend time on the phone and work it out with them and, and solve the problems for them. Well, that's fantastic. Well, I encourage everybody to check out there. There'll be a link in the show notes to the marketing mastery group.com. And um, if you guys are listening right now, cause we're going to, I'm going to get this out right away. Uh, should be able to get this out even this week, David. But um, if not there, are, you know, you do these multiple times. So if somebody's listening to this a month from now and this April date has passed, they still have the ability right. to go and apply for the, one of the next ones. So that's, that's fantastic. Next one is July. I don't have dates. End of July. Right. Um, David, are there any nuts in your business you're trying to crack right now? And, you know, by that, I mean, obviously trying to get some, you know, 
good people to the marketing mastery group is, is one thing, but is there anything you're working on right now that you're either particularly looking for a resource, a skill set, a person? Uh, oh my God. I can't believe you're asking this. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, um, I am always looking for good project managers. They're so oh, hard yeah. to find. Really you know, if, if I could find 10, I'd hire 10 people who think, outside the box people who question don't take i want someone who doesn't take for an answer (laughs) and um so yeah i'm always looking for that um i'm actually looking for a new uh executive assistant my my uh, person who was with me 12 and a half years um uh, working from home uh left after 12 and a half years I I have got a really good recommendation for you on that. Um, He lives in Austin and it's not this. He's not the executive assistant, but his name is Tim Francis. He's a former guest on the show. He's a good friend and an amazing human being. I don't know if you've ever come across Tim, but um, no, he owns a company called greatassistant.com and he is methodical about, um, about recruiting, training, uh, personality profiling, everything, the, the, the best executive assistance for people. And, wow. I mean, he is top notch. Uh, I'm happy to make an introduction, but if you are looking yeah, for executive assistant, especially I, I a virtual really am, yeah. US based. Absolutely. I, everything I do is virtual all around the world. Yeah. Um, That's the only I've, way to go. All my people things. are virtual. Yeah. yeah. I've been doing that for almost 20 years. And I've, 20 years ago, it was not that easy. Now technology has caught up with it. It's really easy, but um, you know, then you're not restricted to the talent pool within a 20 mile radius of, of your location. So you can use some of the better people and going offshore for certain things makes a big difference. I've got programmers offshore. I've got, uh, you know, data people offshore. It's really, uh, the world is a wide open place. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's funny. I just it was t- speaking about project managers because that's what one of the things I always say as well. I think we're cut from the same cloth in a lot of areas. <laughs> but um, the uh, I was I, just yesterday. This episode has not even been edited yet. But I was interviewing the owner of uh, the company FreeUp, and it's F R E E E three E's up.com and it's a new platform for. It's about I mean it's about three years old for uh, outsourcing global workers. Uh, both U.S. based, right. about half of them are U.S., but they take an extra step so that if you know if you go to Upwork or one of these other sites and you post a job posting, they you know you're going to get like inundated with like 50 different applicants. Well, in this case, they're out, they're actively recruiting for their people, and if you post, hey, I need a web designer, uh, they're only going to deliver you maybe one to three, potentially like one to three people that they've already pre-vetted, pre-interviewed, etc., in order to um, streamline the process. That's great. And in addition, regarding project managers, I told him, they do have PMs there, but I said a great service that you guys could offer would be some of the people who create, you know, who who build themselves out as project managers. I would work deeper with them and create an integration with them in your business so that if I'm coming, if I've got an e-com project to do and it's going to require five different skill sets, if you let me know that, well, yeah, we also have one of these project managers on board who knows our system and our people real well, you can hire them to work in our system and just one extra layer of easiness for the client, sure. which would be us. So I was having that combo yesterday, but. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of training. You know, for example, in Touch CR, uh, our, our team are all going for the Salesforce certifications. And, mm-hmm. you know, so Richard Branson said something I think is brilliant. I have such respect for, for some of the things he's done. Uh, he said, Treat people 
trains people so that they can leave you and get a better job somewhere else. Yeah. Treat them so that they never want to. Right. Or get, train people so that they can find somebody to replace themselves at your business and move up. <laughs> well, like that's you know, it depends. On, it depends. You know, you never want to make your best salesperson a sales manager. Then you sit there and go, oh, we have no more sales. What happened? Yeah, 100%, you know? right. So it depends on what position. But, you know, I love that because I'm a big fan of training and mm -hmm. I, I train, train our people in all different areas and, and cross train. Uh, and, and show them perspectives. Uh, I've owned a lot of businesses. I remember one time I had a business that had a warehouse, uh, printing shop and warehouse and shipping. And I had all the, um, the desk jockeys, if you will, the accounting people, the customer service people go out and work the warehouse and work the print shop. I mean, not the presses, but yeah. you, know, um, you know, the whole idea. And it gave them a whole different perspective. I mean, this was years and years and years ago before it became in vogue. Um, and it, it worked. I, I'm going to share one more uh, idea, if I may, sure. that's near and dear to me. Um, hire the handicapped. If you have some things that are, you know, like customer service people who work from home, there are people who are, are physically disabled and looking for work, and they want so much to please, to work, to be valuable. It's a great you point. Couldn't yeah, ask, the level of appreciation yeah. there is probably through the roof. Well, well, and not just appreciation, but dedication and hard work because they want to be productive. They want to be useful. Um, I had a, a warehouse in question and at the time, which was 20 years ago plus in L.A. It was a, a pick and pack. I mean, we'd pack things and ship them. And I hired a ton of people in wheelchairs and put up the ramps and everything. And, you know, they said, well, uh, one person said, uh, you know, you, you treat us just like any others. I said, so. Uh, I, I subject, uh, you're subject to my, uh, my joke abuse, like everyone else, you know, and at four o'clock I'd come out to sort of tell jokes and they'd all be hiding, you know, <laughs> go back to work, leave us, we're busy. But, you know, it, it was, it was so gratifying to be able to do that. So anyway, I just, whenever I can put a plug in for I that, I do. It. And I think that's, I think that's powerful. Well, David, I can't, Thank you enough for your time today. Oh, uh, go on, try. Go on. You can try. <laughs> go on, go. <laughs> the insight, the wisdom, the, the ideas, uh, and just the transparency has been you know, just phenomenal. Um, and it's, it's it, I get a lot of great guests on the show, but I'm especially thankful for getting people who've, who have played and are playing at the levels that you are and thinking in a, in a way that um, it takes a lifetime to kind of really create um, you know, these, these viewpoints and perspectives that you can bring to any business owner, entrepreneur, consultant, anybody out there. Um, for my listeners, uh, once more, this is in the show notes, but I highly encourage you to go to the marketing mastery group.com and look at this. Uh, but only if you feel as though that there is some stuff that you could, uh, really learn and grow from as both a person and an entrepreneur, um, and using some of the insights that David obviously has, as he shared in this amazing episode, or as I call it an epi-sizzle, because it's sizzling hot. <laughs> what? There's the, la there's the laughter. But uh, David, once more, thank you very much to all my subscribers. Um, at any point that you have a question for me, you want to reach out, uh, send an email to askbrad 
at baconwrappedbusiness.com. And I'm more than happy to uh, hear you out. And if it's something that you'd like a second opinion on, whether it's a strategy you're pursuing, uh, an issue you're having in your business, trying to figure something out, and you're just kind of uh, uh, at a crossroads, and you don't know where to go, shoot me an email. Um, if it's good enough, maybe we'll even have it on the show. But uh, David, is there anything else you'd like to add if people would like to get a hold of you? Uh, I mean, you are a ghost, so I'm not going to ask for like Yeah, you know, it's, like I, maybe I should, should have a, a domain, at, you know, david at casper.com uh, or something. I don't know. Um, you know, if anybody wants to reach out, they can uh, get me on the Marketing Mastery uh, site and they can send an email or fill out an app. And uh, glad to respond to anyone who has a question. And uh, thank you so much for having me on the show. It was a lot of fun. Well, it was my pleasure. I look forward to sharing this. And guys, if you're listening to this too, and you want, and you think other people need to hear about it, the single best thing in the world you could do is share this episode on your social profiles and tag me in it. Don't tag the ghost. You can't find him, but uh, there's nothing, you know, that we love more is than just uh, letting, letting us know that these episodes had a big impact on you. So without any further ado, David, thanks again for being on the show. Uh, I look forward to talking to you again real soon. And uh, to all my listeners, thanks for tuning in and spending the time with us. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye-bye.